This message was presented at the GYC 2014 conference at the Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the privilege of caring for and discipling these little ones. We know you love them infinitely, infinitely more than we do. And uh, our hearts go out to them as we see how the enemy is attacking them on every front. And we know that that's a fulfillment of prophecy in the last days. But we also know that you are raising up a generation to share the final message of hope and warning with the world as children. And so, Father, we know that we are not to put afar off the close of time, that your coming is imminent and soon. And our children today, we expect them to go through the very last days as children. And so we pray that you would prepare them, strengthen them, give us a bond of love and unity and purpose that we as your people may go into these last days with confidence, with joy and purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Adventist Home, page 31, has a phrase that jumped out at me when I was reading it. It says, guarding the home against satanic influences. Now, the second I saw that phrase, I said immediately, I need to read the rest of that sentence. Because I want to know how to guard my home against satanic influences. Raise your hand if you want your home guarded against satanic influences. Amen. I do too. You ready for the first part of the sentence? It says, other families will mark the results attained by a godly home. So you mark the results attained by a godly home and you follow the example set. In their turn, guarding the home against satanic influences. So how do we guard our home against satanic influences? Many ways, certainly. Prayer, most importantly. But this is saying you will actually guard your home against satanic influences by looking around at families that have had positive results in their parenting and then doing, marking the results and following their example so long as it harmonizes with the Bible and spirit of prophecy. And that is exactly what we're doing for the next three sessions. This session is called... 21st, 19th century parenting councils meet 21st century research. And you see the research again and again, whether it's in the science and health field or the parenting field, all of it is confirming what we've known all this time. George Barna is the man that did the research in the evangelical community. He went out in search of the spiritually strong young adults of America and the churches, the people who read their Bibles, who give more than their tithe and offering of, of, of money and time. They're involved, invested in the cause. They believe in a biblical worldview. You're you're spiritually strong people, the kind of people we all want to be. And he found them and asked them and interviewed them and asked how were they raised? What kind of parenting produces one of these fine young adults who stay in the church but doesn't just stay in the church? That's setting the bar way too low, stay in the church. You can be a, a, a Laodicean Christian in the church. That's not what we're aiming for. Spiritual strength is something altogether different. He found out by interviewing and surveying not just the young adults but their parents What kind of parenting produced this spiritual strength as they headed into adulthood? And which brings me to a major disclaimer, because when we look at certain strategies that have a tendency to produce positive results, there are no guarantees in a world of free will. You read, God himself raised and cared for children that have rebelled against him, Isaiah 1 verse 2. So if you're a parent whose children are grown and your, your heart is just aching over children who have left the church and left the faith, uh, God knows that pain because he's experienced. One third of his, his children in heaven rebelled against him and he was the perfect parent. So we can parent perfectly and still, well, listen to the quotation, parents may do everything in their power to give their children every privilege and instruction in order that they may give their hearts to God, yet the children may refuse to walk in the light. Now, does that mean we we, we can just parent however we want and it makes no difference? No, 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 no. (laughs) It makes a huge difference. According to both research and inspiration, we dramatically increase our chances for children's spiritual success by parenting well. So I don't want to just hang out in this land. The rest of the seminar is going to go contrary to that in the sense that we need to now ask ourselves, what can we do to help increase their chances of spiritual success? But I put this on the screen so the older members of the church don't beat themselves up and walk around with shame and guilt over where the the direction their children have gone. You may have made mistakes. You did. We all have. We all do. And there's no perfect parent. And children do have free will and decision. So enough on that disclaimer. For those who are uh, in the the mindset of, of, of... I am a parent, I'm moving into marriageable age, I want to think about parenting. I want you to be very, very, very careful with parenting counsels or with anything from the Bible and spirit of prophecy. When you hear it presented, you need to be studying for yourself. 
read through Child Guidance, read through Adventist Home, because it's very easy to selectively quote Spirit of Prophecy, or Bible verses for that matter, in a way that brings an imbalance. For example, you could quote just this quote right here. Children should not be led to feel that they cannot go out or come in without being watched. Suspicion demoralizes, producing the very evils it's seeking to prevent. True statement. But one could take that and go, oh, well, if they, they're not supposed to be led to feel that they can't go out or come in without being watched, then we can just kind of let the kids go off and do what they want and do their own thing and not be around mom and dad. If you only had that one quote, you might draw that erroneous conclusion. But there are other quotes to bring in some balance here. Parents generally put too much confidence in their children. For often when the parents are confiding in them, they are in concealed iniquity. Parents, watch your children with a jealous care. And then here's where he brings it together and clarifies the issue. Children must have constant care. So we're not just letting them go get a street education, but you do not need to let them see that you are ever guarding them. You see how that harmonizes with this? They are not to be led to feel that they are being demoralized and suspicious and all of this kind of thing. So that's an example of how we need to bring in all the quotations on a relevant topic to have the correct perspective. Now what you're about to hear comes from mainly three seminar series, DVD series that our ministry has produced. Raising the Remnant is just kind of the bare bones. Here's what the Barna Research has found. Here's where Adventist Home lines up with that. Since that, I've expanded that into what you're seeing today. This right here is one of my favorite things we have because the Lord brought this together in an incredible way. I reached out to some of my favorite parenting minds within Adventism today. Dr. Dr. Habenick, Dr. Kuzma, Cinda Osterman, a friend of mine in Michigan, Don McLafferty, my new friends Paul and Carolyn Rain who happen to be here. And these guys have some insights from the Lord that are absolutely powerful. And we put it all together in how to raise the remnant. So you're going to hear a little bit of tidbit from that that I've borrowed from these guys. But mostly we'll just be going through the research. Also, my good friend Joshua White. Man, this guy is a researcher. He's got some incredible stuff on early childhood development. I said, hey... Can I, can I record you sharing this stuff? And then he went out and got a bunch more interviews and put together eight discs of po powerful parenting and education and child development material. So all three of those are sort of the package right now with our ministry, still working on more in this area because we really, really feel strongly about the children within our church. So let's get into it. What are successful parents like? First thing, I have to ask the question, why are we asking what are they like? Most people just want, give me the 10 steps of how to have a new child by this tomorrow, right? I mean, it's like, give me the simple to-do list strategies. I want the strategies and I will apply them. We're starting in the wrong place with that. Give me the strategies doesn't work because the single biggest factor in your child's spiritual success is who you are. It's the parent in the mirror. You could have all the best parenting strategies memorized, but if you don't have a Christ-like character in the home, it's all for naught. It's a clanging gong. So what are they like? First of all, they study the Bible. These parents who had success in Barna's research were students of the Bible, which is shockingly rare within our church and the broader Christian churches today. In order to interest our children in the Bible, we ourselves must be interested in it. Don't you love how common sense spirit of prophecy is? To awaken in them a love for its study, we must love it. If our children never see us opening the word of God, are they going to get the impression that it's important or unimportant? And it is unimportant to you if you're never opening it, right? This is an important end of the quote, and it makes me want to know the beginning of it again. It says, a sanctified love will bind the hearts of parents and children together, and the youth will grow up, here it is, established in the faith. How will the youth grow up established in the faith and rooted and grounded in the love of God? Here it is. The work of education in the home demands that parents be diligent students of the scriptures. They must be learners of the great teacher. Day by day, the love and kindness must be, must be upon, the law of love and kindness must be upon their lips. Their lives must reveal the grace and truth that was seen in their life example. Then, the children will be rooted and grounded in the faith. But it starts with us being students of the scriptures, doesn't it? Very, 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 very important. Jesus said, the scriptures are they which testify of me. Come to me and have life. If we are not studying, this is a blunt statement that was presented to me one time, and I said, I can't disagree with that. If I am not studying in the word of God, it's evidence that I, I need to be converted. Again. Or maybe for the first time. If I don't love the word of God, then I can't claim to be a Christian parent or a Christian anything. Because this is where I come to have life from Jesus Christ. 
Day and night, Mrs. White wrote, I am burdened with the thought of our great need of converted parents. She had a vision of a giant tent and all these families in there, and her, her, she, her heart was just going out to unconverted families that needed to know the truth, that needed to practice the truth and be in the word. Many parents professing to be Christians are not converted. Christ does not abide in their hearts by faith. So what were these parents like? They studied the word of God, just like Jesus. How did Jesus live a successful life in any endeavor that he engaged in? It was in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, Jesus went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. Are we doing that? Whether you're a parent or not, if you want to live the Christian life, this is basic 101 stuff that we have got to do. And why don't we? Well, parents need to be converted every day. How about that? Every day I need to be on my knees and be converted. Child Guidance 548. Every day parents should seek, be receiving the light of heaven into their souls. Every day be receiving the impressions of the Holy Spirit upon heart and mind. Every day they should be receiving the word of truth and letting it control their life. So the bottom line is this. You can't give your kids what you don't have. Children will go no deeper in their relationship with Jesus than their parents, generally speaking. So, the first law of parenting is that which is going to save your soul will also put your children in a situation where their souls can be saved as well. Anything that is detrimental to your soul will be detrimental to your children's soul. Because you are their window into the spiritual world. You are their window and their mirror of what God is like. And it reveals him to them. Now, I know we have a hard time as the people of God, young and old, getting into the word of God. We, we have a hard time getting interested in it, finding the time. What's going on with that? Well, first of all, we find the Bible boring. And I, I talk about this in Media on the Brain at great length, the science behind it, how entertainment media is ruining our appetite for the word of God. And not just media and entertainment. It says the youth would pronounce the Bible the most interesting book they ever read had their imaginations not been perverted by the reading of fictitious stories. Now, by the way, what do you think is going to be more stimulating and perverting to the imagination? A storybook or violent video game or exciting movies or all these things that we get ourselves into, they're making spiritual life and, and normal life boring because we become addicted. Uh, you, you can learn about the rest of that in Media on the Brain. I'll leave that for now. But you know what else we do? We don't have time. I don't have any time to open the Word of God. I wake up in the morning and the kids are up and we got to do this and got to do that and they need this and they need that. Well, how about this? Make it a habit not to sit up after 9 o'clock. That wouldn't really, I'm a night owl, naturally. When I read that, I'm like, uh-oh. When I married my wife, how about that? She's not a night owl. I went, uh-oh, this, this is not working. You can train yourself. I, I become trained to go to bed early because of who I married and because of this counsel here. Make it a habit not to sit. You know what happens then? If you go to bed at 9, then you could be up at 5. And then you've got time before, and I know this is not, like, if you've got a newborn, you know, you're, uh, you're in bed for, like, 14 hours to get seven hours of sleep. So, you know, we do our best at various situations in life. But in general, if we're getting to bed early, we can have an hour or two before the kids get up, spend that time with the Word of God. Parents need peak brain health for this job. Take care of your health. We read, if there is any post of duty above another, which requires a cultivation of the mind, where the intellectual and physical powers require healthy tone and vigor, it is the training of children indeed. So what kind of is home is going to result? You know, we've talked about you're in the word of God. You're walking with the Lord as a parent. What's going to result is an atmosphere of kindness and respect in the home. This is the most important thing is the atmosphere of the home. Is it a Christ-like atmosphere above all else, above all things else, let parents surround their children with an atmosphere of cheerfulness, courtesy, and love. A home where love dwells is, is, and, and where it is expressed in love, in words, and in acts is a place where angels delight to manifest their presence. The atmosphere thus created will be to the children what air and sunshine are to the vegetable world, promoting health and vigor of mind and body. So you want to kill the little plants in your home, then have them live in an atmosphere toxic with criticism and negativity. If you want them to thrive, give them the air and sunshine of a Christ-like atmosphere. Be careful that you are not rude to your children. One time, Levi, my son, called me on this. He said, we've been teaching him about rudeness. And, I, I, and the tone of my voice came out you know, in, in an unchrist-like way. And he said, Dad... That sounded rude. I'm like, wow. You know, you want to learn about your flaws, by the way? Before you have kids, you think you're, you know, I'm a pretty decent person. <laughs> All of a sudden you have kids, you realize, oh, I'm way more impatient than I thought. And the Lord needs to work on me. And maybe this is why it says women will be saved through childbearing. Because it is a trial by fire. And you really get put through the ringer. 
The Savior's golden rule should be the rule of all who undertake the training in, in, of children and youth. The golden rule. Do we treat our children as we would want to be treated? You don't usually think of that involving children. It's like children just kind of deserve to, you know, be belittled a little bit, right? We disrespect our children without even thinking about it. But do you like to have harsh words spoken to you? Would you feel, what would you do if you were treated as inconsiderately as you treat your little ones? Those are children of God too, right? They're brothers and sisters in Christ. Your, Your children are brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's kind of, I don't normally think of it that way, but we've got to treat them as God's property bought with a price. So we don't even think about it, and we just kind of, the way we talk about them, the way we give orders and criticisms, it's just we don't treat them with, the, with respect all the time. And if you want respect from your children, especially men, fathers, are, are always appreciate knowing that their family is respecting them and their authority, respect elicits respect. You will gain respect by giving respect. That's very much a law of the home. Smile, parents. Smile, teachers. If your heart is sad, let not your face reveal the fact. I love that. Smile, parents. Smile, teachers. Your tones of voice, your deportment, your spirit are copied by your little ones. And one more of these. Few realize the effect of a mild, firm manner even in the care of an infant. The fretful, impatient mother or nurse creates peevishness in the child in her arms, whereas a gentle manner tends to quiet the nerves of the little ones. So that's what they're like, number one. They're in the word of God. That changes their hearts. They walk in a Christ-like way and they have an atmosphere of cheerfulness and joy and courtesy and respect in their homes. But another thing these parents are like is they love their children unconditionally. The the adult children in Barna's studies knew that their parents loved them regardless of their behavior and performance. They knew they were just loved because they were their kids. That's God's love for us, right? So showing kindness and respect to them all the time. Even in that moment where they've just you know, flipped your lid, and you're furious, they're, they're, they've just defied your authority, right? They don't, do they deserve our kindness? Do they, do they deserve our impatience at that moment? They never deserve our impatience. We always show them kindness and respect, even in disciplining. We're going to talk about discipline at the end of the third session. It's easy, by the way, to accidentally shower love and affection on our children because they performed well. Oh, you did such a good job. I love you. Don't do that. Don't do that, because then they get the picture that I'm loved when I perform, when I obey, when I do the right thing, when I'm a good kid, when I'm smart, when I'm pretty, whatever. We need, we need to, don't pair those together. Have your I love yous at all the times, at random times. My, my son Levi, uh, we got a, a little advice um, from one of, the, one, of the, one of the interviews that we did for How to Raise the Remnant, where you, know, you, you have a, a, a time together at bedtime with your child. And so I started to do that with my son, Levi. I said, Levi, I'm going to rub your back and pray for you. Every night, I'm going I'm to, no, mom puts you to bed, but I'm going to come in there and spend some time with you. And so I started doing this with him every night. And then one, about three or four days into it, you know, he knew that I wanted to do that every night. And he had a, a misbehavior issue, issue and a discipline issue. And we were on the couch together. And this is where we did the, do our discipline. And, and he said, Dad, are you still going to rub my back and pray for me tonight? I wanted to cry. I'm like, of course I will, son. I will, nothing you can ever do would make me stop loving you. Ever, ever, ever. So every night he gets that. And I remind him of that. I say, every night, Levi. It doesn't matter how the day goes. We all have bad days. So. Third thing these parents are like, they use a lot of what George Barna calls God talk. The scriptures aren't just something relegated to the, the morning devotions that the parents have or to church, but God is infused throughout their entire day and their entire life. Those who desire their children to love and reverence God must talk of his goodness, his majesty, and his power. By the way, isn't it cool how every Barna finding is backed up by spirit of prophecy? I haven't found one yet. That isn't. Christ is not a stranger in their homes. His name is a household name. In our home, when Levi was very small, he knew that the members of our house were mom, dad, and the baby that was growing in mommy's tummy was called, uh, was called Tiny. That was Levi's name for the baby because he didn't have a name. So mommy, daddy, Tiny, and Jesus. And Levi, of course. Mommy, daddy, Levi, Tiny, and Jesus. Jesus is part of the family. So that's how we did things from the very early age. And by the way, our family is not an example. I'm no parenting expert at all. I'm just like a total nerd. I just love research and reading and sharing and teaching. So I'm way too young to be doing a parenting seminar. I realize that. It's not from my experience and expertise. I'm figuring this out with all of you. So anyway, just a quick disclaimer on that. But religious instruction means that you are to show in your life that Jesus is everything to you. Jesus is everything. Do they see that? That Jesus is everything to us. 
When her children do wrong, she may present as a reproof the words of God. So we do God talk all the time. Jesus is everything to us. He's in our household. He's one of the members. We do God talk. He's, he's, we, we present the reproofs of God when we are when our, we're correcting our children. And by the way, we should avoid tedious remarks. Short remarks and to the point will have a happy influence. If much is to be said, make up for briefness by frequency. Too much talk will lead them to loathe even spiritual instruction. So just keep that in mind. Now, when do we pray? You know, we have sort of uh, rituals in our culture. Most families pray only at mealtime. 90% plus of, of born-again Christian families pray only at mealtime, which is, which is very sad. But we, we, we ought to pray all the time. Mealtime, every time you open the Bible, kid's got an owie, you can't find something. This happens all the time in our household. Because I, well, I won't get into my, uh, my character deficiencies in organization, but the Lord's working on me on that. But I'll lose something. Where is my such and such? My wife has like a radar for where every item in the house is at all times. Occasionally she'll miss one. And then it's, then it's chaos. I can't find it. And so we pray. Or my son Levi has lost things. And it always shows up because God likes to honor those prayers of those little ones in an amazing way. Um, by the way, how many of you have kids and have prayed with kids and had a prayer answered? Yeah, it happens all the time, doesn't it? It's beautiful. How about you're just out in nature and you just, wow, this is beautiful. Let's just thank God for that. Make it when you're driving, when the family's separating. The Spirit of Prophecy says angels will guard a family thus dedicated to the Lord. If the family has to separate for a time, gather the family together for prayer first. Bedtime prayers, random times. That's the most important thing to just have our lives infused with prayer. Help them to weave Jesus into their experience. You see that? Weaving Jesus into their experience. If they get the picture that there's life over here and Christianity over here, then that doesn't really affect this that much except giving me a bunch of rules I don't want to keep. No, it's woven into it in a very real and meaningful way in everything in everyday life. In our house, we've started keeping a prayer journal where every time we ask the Lord to answer a prayer, we write it down. And then when it's answered, we come back and, 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 and fulfill that. And so we've got a whole list of things. Most of it is things that were lost and God helped us find. Uh, one time, uh, Silas, you know, baby was starting to eat solid foods, had a little bit of constipation. We're like, hey, weave it into the very, you know, even into the, the, the bathroom category. We've, Christ is interested in all that. So we prayed that the Lord would relieve him of that. And, and, and he went to the bathroom like an hour later so, or, or later that, that night or something like that. It was within the same day. It was an amazing answer to prayer again. One time we were pulling our carrots up because in Michigan it freezes, like the ground freezes really early and we didn't want to get the leaves out and bury it all. So we're just like, let's just pull these carrots up and get this job done before the freeze comes. But I looked at the rain, the weather forecast and there was supposed to be rain coming. Oh, we're not going to work outside as a family in the rain here. It's going to be miserable. And so I said, we, we prayed. We said, Lord, would you please hold off the rain so that we can do our carrot job and get those packed into sand and bins and put in our root cellar. And so we prayed that prayer as a family and it turned out to be a sunny day. Like, never in Michigan is the forecast rain and then it turns into sun. Michigan is almost always cloudy in West Michigan where we live. And so I expected some clouds. You know, it was a sunny day. It was amazing. But the very last carrot got set in the bin and the lid was placed on snap, drip, 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 drip. Literally that second, the rain started. And we all went, the Lord held off the rain the whole day. Oh, I loved it. It was such a cool, it's a cool experience. It was like raining when it's sunny out. It was like one cloud. God sends one cloud just to show that he was the one keeping it away. These parents are not only just living their faith, but they are true revolutionaries in their parenting styles. Let's get into some of the ways that they parent and the ways that they view themselves. First of all, they believe that parenting is their primary job in life. This is one of the most important findings in the entire Barna research because it is so important. It's so consistent with spirit of prophecy. If they have a career, if they have a job, that exists primarily as a means to the great end of parenting, which is their primary job. You want some powerful quotes on this? Listen to these. Let not home education be regarded as a secondary matter. What's, what would be the opposite of secondary then? Primary. So it's the primary matter. We need to make the education of our children a business for their salvation depends largely upon the education given them in childhood. To the mother and father, the right training of their children is the most important work in their life. When parents see the importance of their work in training their children, when they see that it involves eternal interests, they will feel that they must devote their best time and thought to the work, to this work. It goes on. Make it your life work to form the characters of your children according to the divine pattern. There is no more important missionary field than speaking of your own home. The management and instruction of children is the noblest missionary work that any man or woman can undertake. Mothers bear a greater responsibility in their work than does the king upon his throne. Wow. 
Mothers, have you neglected your God-given work, the greatest work ever committed to mortals? The mother has in her power the molding of her children's characters that they may be fitted for the higher immortal life. An angel could not ask for a higher mission. And next to God, the mother's power for good is the strongest known on earth. I think the point came pretty strongly through there, didn't it? It's your business. It's your life work. There's no other important thing. It's the greatest missionary work. The mother's job next to God, she is the strongest influence known on earth. An angel could not ask for a higher mission. It goes, God, then moms, then angels, then the king on his throne, then the rest of us, okay? Moms, you are important in God's kingdom. Don't neglect that work. It is the greatest work ever committed to mortals. How sad it is then that many parents have cast off their God-given responsibility to their children and are willing that strangers should bear it for them. You know, I was been a, I've been a teacher for 11 years, and this is so true. It is to be regretted that by most parents, little interest is shown either to inform themselves as to the teacher's qualifications or to cooperate with him in his work. I, I've, I've found very few parents of my students even become acquainted with me in any way. And I have the responsibility of educating their children, and they, I'm a stranger to them. How tragic it is, how sad it is that many parents have given off their responsibility to strangers. If you ignore your duty as a wife and mother and hold out your hands for the Lord to put another class of work in them, be sure that he will not contradict himself. He points you to the duty you have to do at home. If you have the idea that some work greater and holier than this has been entrusted to you, you are under a deception. Now, I would never say that to a woman because that's not my place. But if the Spirit of God inspires this concept that it, you're under a deception, a strong statement, if we are saying there's something more important that I have to do than this. But it's not just moms. I saw that but few fathers realize their responsibility. The father's duty to the children cannot be transferred to the mother. If she performs her own duty, she has burden enough to bear. Amen to that? Whew, man, moms are the hardest working people on the planet. Only by working in unison can the father and mother accomplish the work which God has committed to their hands. Fathers, now this statement you're about to hear changed the course of my future. When I came across this, I was teaching full-time and starting to do the Media on the Brain seminar throughout Michigan. And I was doing a bit of traveling, getting busier with developing this ministry while teaching full-time, and we had a baby in the home. And I'm going, whoa, who am I now? Fathers, spend as much time with your children as possible. Fathers, spend as much time as possible with your children. Okay, I had to reevaluate the direction of my life at that point when I saw this quotation. By the way, you want to see some interesting research. They found that if, if two parents are, 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 are in the home and one of them is a Christian and one of them's not, which arrangement is most likely to produce a Christian young person? The father being the Christian or the mother being the Christian? It's actually the father. Which, you know, everything we just heard about the mother, the father's duty cannot be transferred to the mother. He has, she has burdened enough to bear. He is the priest of the household. This is hugely important. So dads, we, we, you know, it's easy for us to be, you know, say, well, you know, she's the mother. She'll, say, she'll take care of all of this. No, 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 no. Not so. Especially in the spiritual realm. If he is engaged in business, which almost wholly closes the door of usefulness to his family. Again, I would never tell guys this, but the Lord may. He should seek other employment. So you might be in a situation you need to find a new job or look for. It says seek. It doesn't say find, right? Because let God do the finding. Don't get stressed out. I can't find. Well, you do the seeking. He'll do the finding. The second way these parents are revolutionary is not just they view themselves as this is my primary job in life, hugely important, but also the, the spiritual strong, spiritually strong young adults came from homes where they had a full-time parent. Generally speaking, the spiritually strong young adults came from homes where they had a full-time parent, a deliberately single-income household, if you will, or maybe a combination of full-time with the two parents doing some sort of part-time thing. And, and you might say, well, how is that even possible? In our economy today, how are we going to survive? Well, poverty in many cases is a blessing, for it prevents youth and children from being ruined by inaction. When, when I decided to leave teaching, I'm not a teacher anymore. I taught for 11 years. This fall is the first, first fall that I haven't been in a school. It's been, been really weird. From age 3 to age 33, I was in schools. And now I'm, I'm, I'm not. But when, when, I, when we decided to, to take the plunge and for me to, to, to resign from my teaching position to pursue this other ministry, this speaking ministry, it was a scary thing on a financial level. Because we're going, how are we going, you know, my wife and I, we both had teachers uh, salaries before we had kids and so we were okay then she has the kids and we're staying at home really clamping down with one salary and now we're going what's going to happen next so what we did 
is we said, well, let's just move because we don't want a mortgage. We don't want any debt. We're committed to this thing. Full-time mom. Dad's calling, mom, God's calling dad into this ministry. So we bought this place we call Apple Haven. It's a, it's a, it's a, a nine-acre property in the middle of Michigan with a bunch of apple trees and a pond. It's lovely. And it was like ultra cheap. If you want to find, you know, I know that, you know, we're in the area of the country out west here. Real estate is a little, little more expensive. I lived in Riverside for five years, Riverside, California. It's like $600,000 houses that are just like regular houses. I'm going, this is insane. But uh, just a very, very cheap rural property with a mobile home on it. We were able to, to, to get and, and move there, and it's like, you know what? My children don't know they live in a mobile home, so what, right? It's like, who cares? It's a palace compared to what most people in the world live in. So being able to say, okay, we're willing to go there for, for our children is an important, important thing. The third way these parents are revolutionary parents is they spend hours every day in dialogue with their children. They spend not just quality time, but quantity of time. If we're only spending short quality time with our children, we don't develop those deep bonds doing life together with them, it's not going to be nearly as effective. The research shows quantity and quality both need to be there. And you can't have you know, a lot of quantity of time that's just miserable. And you can't have very sparse time with them that's good and, and that's going to suffice. No, we want hours of dialogue with our children. The hearts of parents and children need to be welded together. Which, by the way... I appreciate the insights of my friends Paul and Carolyn Rain here because in their series, The Connected Family, the first half, literally the first half of their parenting book and their parenting seminars are about the family becoming connected. That's the name of it, The Connected, connected. did I get that right? The Connected Family? Thank you. And, and that's huge. You know, we can have all the strategies right. We can be good disciplinarians. We can have good principles. We can be teaching the Bible. But if we're not connected with our children, if our hearts are not welded together, then they're not going to have enough relationship with us to, to care about what our faith is and what we're trying to inculcate within them. So Dr. Hovenick tells a story. She says, it's utterly amazing. She says, it happened so many times in her counseling profession that it was utterly amazing. She said the, the moms would come to her with all this whole litany of things that their children are doing. They do this and they do that, complaining about all their behavior. And she says, every time I would tell them, I want you to start by doing this. And this is just a starting point, but I want you to start by doing this. With each child in your family... Set aside 15 minutes of one-on-one -on -one time. Just you and child doing something the child wants to do. He chooses. And she says, every time, it happened so many times to be utterly amazing, the mom would come back to my office and say, most of these behavior issues have fizzled away. Now, you might be in this room thinking, man, I want to I learn about discipline. I want to learn how to have my children behave better if you're a parent right now. Or maybe if you're thinking about becoming a parent, you're going, okay, give me the discipline techniques. How can we get them to behave? We will talk about discipline at the end of session four. But you know what? Most of this can disappear. And I'm, I, I'll get more into that. My son, Levi, we, he's, he's a strong-willed child. And we were struggling with a lot of things uh, about a year and a half ago. And we decided, after watching um, The Connected Family, actually, and, and thinking about that, we said, let's do one-on-one -on -one time, just Levi and Daddy. And we said, let's set aside a 24-hour period of time, and it's just going to be Levi and Daddy, sleepover, fun, just, just having a blast together. This was gone, the phone off, and just Levi and Daddy. Mommy and the baby were, were going somewhere else for that evening. I don't even remember why, but uh, it, we had that time together. He was having a lot of disobedience issues at that, time, at that time. And you know what happened over that 24-hour period of time? Zero instances of disobedience. Not one. In 24 hours, a two-year-old. I'm going, this is amazing, the power of a connected family. Fathers, cultivate friendship with them, especially with your sons. In this way, you will be a strong influence for good. No time, says the father. I have no time to give to the training of my children. No time for social and domestic enjoyments. If that's your mentality, here's the, here's the confrontation to you from Spirit of Prophecy. You should not have taken upon yourself the responsibility of a family. By withholding from them the time which is justly theirs, you rob them of the education which they should have at your hands. You have brought children into the world who have no voice in regard to their existence. Have you ever thought about that? Like, they didn't choose to exist. So you better treat them right. You have made yourself responsible in a great measure for their future happiness, their eternal well-being. It is the cry of many mothers. I have no time to be with my children. Then, for Christ's sake, spend less time on your dress. Neglect to receive and make calls. Neglect to cook an endless variety of dishes. Calls is something different today than it was back then, but same thing, social visits or phone calls. Neglect to keep up on Facebook posts. Neglect to respond to... Your, this is not in the original, but... Neglect to respond to your texts and emails. Neglect to pin stuff on Pinterest, but never, never neglect your children. Let nothing 
interpose between you and the best interests of your children. But how do I get everything done? The mom asks. If I'm spending all my time with my children, how am I going to get anything done? I asked my wife this question. I said, what would you say to folks? Because she's living it. She says, you don't. You don't even try to. <laughs> you, you get some things done, but you never get it in your mind that you're going to get everything done that you want to get done. It's just, you're, you're dreaming, <laughs> right? You get some things done, and you do life with your kids. You don't commit so much to others. That's a big one. My wife said, you can't be all things to all people, but you are nearly all things to your children. It's wisdom there. Not until the final settlement, when the cases of all will be decided, will parents realize the almost invaluable, infinite value of their misspent time. Mm. Eternal consequences. Let not a mother allow her mind to be occupied with too many things. She must now allow nothing to divert her mind. By the way, are these counsels applicable for our, the last days or what? People go, oh, this antiquated 19th century counsel. It's like, this is so relevant. It's incredible. More relevant for us even than it was then. Now, the most important times, during the busiest times, what are the don't drop these times? These are the most important ones, mealtime. Mealtime should be a season for social intercourse and refreshment. Get those mealtimes together. Bedtime or, and or wake up time. You know, nighttime for a small child is kind of a lonely time sometimes, right? So you want to end the day together, begin the day together. And how about family worship time? We're going to talk about that more coming up. That's a must. And performance time. If they're singing in the little children's choir at church, you, you know, don't be, you know, if they're doing a Sabbath school thing, you are there on the edge of your seat, their biggest fan, right? And that, that means a lot to children. Um, by the way, I remember as, my, as a kid, my dad, I, I used to play sports, and I don't advocate, you know, getting heavily involved in competitive sports, but that was like my thing when I was a kid. That was what I loved, and my parents had encouraged it. And so within that context, my dad knew how to feed my sense of self-worth, and it was just to be there. When I'd, I'd be out there bouncing the basketball, looking at the bleachers, is my dad here yet? And then, you know, as soon as he got there, I played harder, I played better. One time I hit a home run in baseball, and uh, I'd, I'd, I'd gone an entire year of baseball without getting a single hit. I, just, I, I connected with the ball once, foul ball. <laughs> Struck out. Over. I was a skinny kid, I could hardly swing the bat. These kids two years older than me are whipping the ball at 60 miles an hour. I'm like, eh, you know. But <laughs> finally, grew up a little bit. Age 12, uh, two years later, hit a home run. And I still remember it like it was yesterday. My dad had the front seat of the car for me. You know, it's just like, yeah, you did it, you know, kind of thing. Now, is a home run significant? No. But within that context, the, the idea is we are really encouraging our children. We really need to affirm them, right? Especially, you know, fathers have that power. You know, it wasn't the mother. The, the kids just kind of take mom for granted in a lot of ways. It's kind of sad. But, but when dad comes in with that affirmation, the, the, the young lady is beautiful just the way she is, that she is loved, that she doesn't have to, you know, follow the ways of the culture in order to attract attention, uh, that the young man is, 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 is strong and, and capable. These kind of things from dad are absolutely essential and powerful. Now, the, the parents that, that were revolutionary also sacrificed. They were sacrificers. They were willing to do things that they, they didn't want to do, frankly. The right conception of God through the knowledge of Christ who died that we might be saved should be impressed upon their minds. That's a pretty good thesis statement for what it is we're trying to teach our children. You may think, parents, that you have not time to do all this, but you must take time to do your work in your family, else Satan will supply the deficiency. Cut out everything else from your life that prevents this work from being done. Isn't that good? And train your children after his order. Neglect anything of a temporal nature. Be satisfied to live economically. Bind about your wants, but for Christ's sake, do not neglect the religious training of yourselves and your children. Now, these parents were not just revolutionary parents that were committed to parenting. But they were committed to parenting in a certain way. They viewed themselves as the discipling agents in their children's lives. They, they practiced true discipleship, if you will. They didn't look to the church or to the school to take the lead in spiritual training. That is failing. 90%, 80%, 70%, depending on the studies of all the churches, the youth are leaving the church because the parenting is being outsourced. Oh, the school will take care of it. They'll learn it in Bible class, in Sabbath school, in the Sunday school, in the churches that I came from growing up. And it's just absolutely not working. This is why God has told us that the father is to dedicate every inmate of his home to God. It is perilous to leave this solemn duty in the hands of others. Perilous, strong statement. Every family is a church over which the parents preside. The first consideration of parents should be to work for the salvation of their children. 
So from an early age, the successful parents were helping their little children get to know Jesus as their personal Savior. And you might say, well, come on, aren't those little kids, you know, a little bit too young to really know Jesus and trust him for salvation? It's like righteousness by faith and all these theological concepts. Are they too young? Age has nothing to do with it. As soon as a child can love and trust his mother, then he can love and trust his Jesus as the friend of his mother. Jesus will be his friend, loved and honored. Isn't that wonderful? Oh, you remember in the, the, the vision where the little children would be born up at the resurrection day, carried in their mother's arms, the, the little ones, the babies? One of the first sounds that should attract the attention is the name of Jesus. Do they hear the name of Jesus from babyhood a lot in your house? And the earliest years, they should be led to the footstool of prayer. Their minds should be filled with stories of the life of the Lord and their imaginations encouraged in picturing the glories of the world to come. The, let the first baby lispings be of Christ. Which, by the way, has the advantage of being extraordinarily cute. Uh, our baby Silas, he, has, he had a couple of months ago his first four words. Mama, it was like ma, ma, like that. And then duh, that's me. <laughs> and then and b, which is ball. So that was his first four words, including, of course, Jesus, when he'd go like that. We just loved it. And now he does the, does the, uh, the, hands, the sign language, too. So helping the little children have a personal relationship with Christ, a walk with the Lord. It was in the hours of solitary prayer that Jesus, in his earth life, received wisdom and power. Let the youth follow his example in finding at dawn and twilight a quiet season for communion with their Father in heaven. Could our children learn these lessons in the morning of their years? What freshness and power, what joy and sweetness would be brought into their lives? So to, to start it with your little children. Play them the scripture song tapes. If you've ever seen those from Thy Word Creations, we carry those at our online store and, and try and get those as many people's hands as possible because they'll learn the words of the Bible. 1 Corinthians 13, 10 Commandments, the Lord's Prayer, Psalm 139, all these wonderful scriptures, and have them do devotions. What we do with our son Levi, we bought him a little tape player off uh, eBay, and you know, he goes into his, his bedroom for personal devotions time and hits play on that, and, and we encourage him to talk to Jesus. I've, listened, I've heard him whispering. It, was, oh, it made my day whispering to Jesus a prayer and so they can do that from the very earliest of ages even you know a two-year-old can go and by himself and have have his little personal devotion time so when we started it with Levi I suppose you could start even even earlier you don't want it to be a miserable thing though like you're going to be away from mom and dad you know being with Jesus is not so you know go easy on the little ones so don't go fanatical with it but you want to get them in the habit the idea that that they they do personal devotions if they have no knowledge of Christ no connection with heaven they will have no moral power and they will yield to earthly potentates who have assumed to exalt themselves above the God of heaven in establishing a spurious Sabbath to take the place of the Sabbath of Jehovah. So you hear, if our kids don't have a connection and knowledge with Christ, then they will be among those that receive the mark of the beast. Helping them love the Lord's day is a huge part of this. Discipling our children, how do we help them love the Sabbath? Uh, the Sabbath, oh, make it the sweetest, the most blessed day of the whole week. <laughs> I, I read through... Uh, Chapter 78 in Child Guidance, I was starting to collect quotations, and then I just gave up. I'm like, the whole chapter, just go read it, okay? Because I, I, I can't sum it up. It's just every, every quotation is amazing. It gives you like a, a plan, how to do it, how to do preparation day, how to make it special. Do not have children without reading chapter 78 of Child Guidance. That's present truth right there. The Sabbath is hugely important. So third thing that these parents did when they were being the disciples of their children, they tended to delve into matters of faith as a family unit, and they spent extensive time studying the Bible. Less than 10% of Christians in born-again homes in America today, less than 10% ever open the Word of God together as a family. That is tragic. That's why they're leaving the church, right? And, and so we need to be doing, doing this very much as the people of God. And this answers the question, if you've ever wondered, why is our church so Laodicean? Why is there such a lack of missionary spirit in our churches? You ready for the answer? It is because there is a neglect of home piety. When kids aren't living the Christian life day in and day out, well, why would they want to share it? Why would they want to be missionaries for the Lord and serve others and do the work? Well, this is just kind of, this, that's not really a part of our lives. The teaching of the Bible truth is the great and grand work which every parent should undertake. In a pleasant, happy frame of mind, place the truth as spoken before the children. In all that men have written, where can be found anything that has such a hold upon the heart, anything so well adapted to awaken the interest of the little ones as the stories of the Bible. Ah, oh, Bible stories. So great for children. Instead of speaking words and vain words and telling idle tales to their children, they will talk with them upon Bible subjects. Instead of telling idle tales, 
Instead of having fictitious characters dominate their lives, you know, for every ounce of brain space taken up by, by the characters that so abound within childhood from all the different shows and games, video games and movies and Disney and all of that, for every ounce of brain space taken up with those characters, that is, that is a, a place in their life that is robbed from the characters of the Bible and from Christ. And so even if it's harmless, it's still just a waste. We need to be teaching them the Bible under a wise instructor. The word will become more and more desirable. It will become to them as the bread of life. Parents have essentially themselves to blame, have themselves to blame, if they do not make the Bible intensely interesting to their children. Now there's a charge for us. Make it intensely interesting. Parents should feel it a sacred duty to instruct their children in the statutes and requirements of God, as well as in the prophecies. In order to do this work, parents must themselves become acquainted with the word of God. You're a teacher if you're a parent, by the way. You're like, nah, I've never really wanted to go into teaching. They don't have kids. Look at this. The use of object lessons, blackboards, maps, and pictures will be an aid in explaining these lessons and fixing them in the memory. Parents should constantly seek for improved methods. The teaching of the Bible should have our freshest thought, our best methods, and our most earnest efforts. Pretty interesting. I shouldn't say then don't have kids. I should say then ask the Lord to make you a teacher, right? The word of God should be judiciously brought to bear upon the youthful minds. This will require time, perseverance, and prayer. This should be attended to, even if some of the things about the house are neglected. Observe system in the study of the scriptures in your family. Neglect anything of a temporal nature. Be sure that the soul is fed with the bread of life. It is impossible to estimate the good results of one hour or even half an hour each day devoted in a cheerful, social manner to the word of God. And throughout their entire child, if you did a half an hour a day or an hour a day, how many hours is that over time? It's like they're really going to learn the word of God that way. We really need to fill the mind with good things because they're like sponges and they soak it all up, right? The most successful methods of assuring their salvation and keeping them out of the way of temptation, you ready for it? The most successful method of assuring their salvation and keeping them out of temptation is to instruct them constantly in the word of God. And as parents become learners with their children, they will find their own growth in a knowledge of the truth more rapid. When they are tried, tempted, or discouraged, cite them to its precious words of comfort. Gently lead them to put their trust in Jesus. Which brings us to family worship. Father Abraham, isn't it great that we call him father? Because he was a great father, wasn't he? he? He's the one that instituted what we know today as family worship. The, excuse me, the morning and evening sacrifices that he would have. He commanded his children after him. And he did this practice of family worship. So fathers and mothers, however pressing your business, do not neglect, do not fail to gather your family around God's altar. That is essential. It is not optional. Even if it's a short period of time. The hour of prayer should not be neglected for any consideration. You are not to pray occasionally, and when you have a large day's work to do, neglect it. In thus doing, you lead your children to look upon prayer as of no special consequence. So if you're insanely busy, and you can only just find five minutes to have a little family worship, gather the family together every single day, morning and evening. And, and it, five minutes is a whole lot better than zero. And, and, and sometimes you might have an hour-long one, and everybody's miserable, and it's boring, and the long scripture passages and the long prayers, well, we'll read about that. There is no reason why this should not be the most interesting and enjoyable exercise in the home life. And God is dishonored when it is made dry and irksome. Let the season of family worship be short and spirited. Family worship shouldn't be, by the, only, by the way, shouldn't be the only time we train our children to sit still. How about this one? You should treat them, teach them to sit still, but family worship shouldn't be the only time. Moses directed the Israelites to set the words of the law to music. While the older children played on instruments, the younger ones what? Marched, singing in concert the songs of God's commandments. We march around our living room and song. We sing Onward Christian Soldiers or whatever. We, we actually march as a family. Great for little kids. Great for boys of any age and girls for that matter. Let the services be brief and full of life, adapted to the occasion and varied from time to time. To make such a service what it should be, thought should be given to its preparation. No doubt it will require effort and planning and some sacrifice to accomplish this, but the effort will be richly repaid. Let the Father, listen to this part, the Father is going to select a portion of Scripture that is interesting, easily understood, a few verses will be sufficient to furnish a lesson that will be studied and practiced throughout the day. By the way, as they get older, they can have longer Scriptures, but with the younger ones especially, short, spirited questions may be asked, a few earnest, interesting marks made, or incident, short to the point, illustrations, short and to the point, may be brought in the way of illustration. At least a few verses of spirited song may be sung, and prayer offered should be short and pointed. The one who leads the prayer should not pray about everything. 
So theological deep men who love to pray about everything under the sun and with their children who are antsy, restrain yourself. Pray about the essentials. Ask for the Lord's protection, forgiveness. Magnify the grace of Christ. Keep it short. But should exp- express his needs in simple words and praise God with thanksgiving. It will actually add to the interest of children if they are permitted to select this, the reading. Let them join in song, if even but a single verse. So if you're in a rush... Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Done. How long did that take, right? Just a single verse, right? Don't say you don't have time for it. It'd be good to do the verse, too. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word. In teaching children the Bible, we may gain much by observing the bent of their minds, the things which they are interested in and arousing their interest to see what the Bible says about these things. So that's good teaching, right? You see what their mind is inclined toward and bring that into harmony with the Bible. The God is, the, the, that God is love is to be taught by every lesson. Christ should be associated with all the lessons given to the children. That's important right there. Now it's break time. In fact, we're going to gather together in the afternoon for session three, aren't we? So we've made some good progress in seeing how these parents disciple their children, how they are true revolutionaries, and how they live their faith. In the coming sessions, we'll see the rest of how they disciple their children, and we will get into the issues of how do we do daily life with our children in a practical way, how do we do discipline, how do we do, have a family firm, and all these matters. So let us close with prayer, and then we'll dismiss from morning. Father in heaven, we do thank you so much for the counsel you've given to us. And uh, none of us in this room would be able to claim that we've got this parenting thing all nailed down. And so we look to you as the perfect parent. And we ask you for more wisdom, guidance. And and, and we pray that you'd correct our erroneous ideas and practices. And that you would be with each child represented in this room as we continue to explore this topic together. We thank you so much for the, the multitude of counsel that we have. The clarity the balance, the the love and grace and and connectedness that you are bringing into our homes. And we thank you also for a high standard of piety that we can live the life of Christ in our homes. I just pray for more of your spirit, more of your power in each home. In Jesus' name, amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2014 conference at The Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC A supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.